0: You're on the starship Voyager. I'm Captain Catherine Janeway of the United Federation of Planets. I'm Dareth of the Vidian Sodality. You attacked one of our crew members. And you've lured us into this asteroid. Why?
1: We are gathering replacement organs and suitable
0: biomatter. It is the only way we have to fight the phage. A virus? Some kind of disease? Yes. It attacked our people over two millennia ago. It
1: consumes our bodies. Destroys our genetic codes and cellular
0: structures. So you harvest the bodies of other beings to replace your own tissues, as they're consumed by this phage? Our immunotechnology cannot keep up.
1: The phage adapts. It resists all attempts to destroy it. Our society has been ravaged. Thousands die each day. There is no other way for us to
0: survive. I have a great... ...sympathy for what your race has endured. But I cannot allow you to keep the organs you removed from one of our crew members. We need them back immediately.
1: I'm afraid that isn't possible. I have already biochemically altered the air-breathing organs and grafted them into Motora's body. They are a part of him now.
2: Good morning, London. It is Thursday, April 29, 2010. I'm Bob Metz. I'm Robert Vaughn. And this is Just Right on CHRW 94.9 FM. Where we will be with you from now till noon. No, not right wing. You know how, Just Right. Fade into colour, colour to black and white, under the bedclothes. All right. Talk about black and white issues today, Robert. I think the theme's going to be morality more than the specifics of the issue that we're going to talk about today. Welcome to the show. It's uh, 519-661-3600, the number to call. If you want to join in on the conversation today, you can always email us at feedback at justrightmedia.org and visit our archive site at www.justrightmedia.org. Today our theme is on uh, basically on the moral aspects of two seemingly unrelated stories. One being um, the whole issue of of how to deal with organ transplants and the waiting lists behind them. And the other one, later on in the show, will be giving you a follow-up on what has been happening to the Prince of Pot, Mark Emery, and the release of The Principle of Pot, the movie, Part 2, which is quite a monumental undertaking who yeah, it is yeah and you'll be hearing a little bit from that later on in the show today but first this was a very unexpected uh, subject for me to be broaching today robert i wasn't even thinking about doing this and uh, that's the issue of organ transplants and how to deal with waiting lists and of course it's it's not a it's not a medical issue that we're going to be talking about today it's the morality of the issue that we will be dealing with this past Monday morning, and I'll tell you why this came up, this past Monday morning I made a quick call into Jeff MacArthur's open line show over on AM 980A, eh? which I do from time to time, and it was, I just happened to hear a conversation, made a quick call in to comment on his subject of what to do about the shortage of organ donations for patients on waiting lists. I had just been sitting there listening to this, endless drone of constant appeals for people to sign their organ donation cards as if that would ever be a solution to the problem to the shortage it never has been i've been listening to this same drone for what 30 40 years has it made a difference no why won't they do the right thing you can solve the problem overnight but you know the evidence is clear that supply of organs is not meeting demand and that many people are needlessly dying Not because they're waiting for an organ transplant, but because society and our laws operate on an altruistic moral code that condemns them to an unnecessary death. That's my conclusion of the situation. And I had it so illustrated for me on Monday that I just couldn't let it sit, you know. When I brought this to the attention of the public on MacArthur's show, the reaction to my comments was, was right out of the illustrated Ayn Rand. You know, <laughs> I always say that, you know. Sometimes Rand says some of the most outrageous things, and you say, nah, she can't be serious. And then along comes something like this. that just, whoa, you shake your head, right? Now, I think a lot of people listening to the show today might find themselves in opposition to our point of view on this. I don't know. But before I relate the experience, let me first identify... The principles of which I speak and I'll just quote Ayn Rand on altruism in regard to this basically a quick definition in theory she says what is the moral code of altruism the basic principle of altruism is that man has no right to exist for his own sake that service to others is the only justification of his existence and that self-sacrifice is the highest moral duty uh, virtue and value Do not confuse altruism with kindness, goodwill, or respect for the rights of others. These are not primaries, but consequences, which, in fact, altruism makes impossible. There are two moral questions which altruism lumps together into one package deal. One, what are values? And two, who should be the beneficiary of values? Now, that's the big one, who should be the beneficiary? Altruism substitutes a second for the first. It evades the task of defining a moral code of values, thus leaving man, in fact, without moral guidance. Altruism declares that any action taken for the benefit of others is good, and any action taken for one's own benefit is evil. Thus, the beneficiary of an action is the only criteria of moral value, and so long as that beneficiary is anybody other than oneself, then anything goes it is only mysticism that can permit moralists to get away with it it was mysticism the unearthly the supernatural the irrational that has always been called upon to justify it or to be exact to escape the necessity of justification one does not justify the irrational one just takes it on faith what most moralists and a few of their victims realize is that reason and altruism are incompatible and that's basically the principle that i am setting out to uh, illustrate today robert well thanks a lot bob you just got rid of half of my, my well, <laughs> my I, talk I, today. well <laughs> I knew you were going to talk about that pepper that's the definition that's the whole framework yeah. around which the issue is so so what i did was i i called up on macarthur's show and i just suggested i said hey why why do we always rely on altruism why don't we try capitalism and I think he kind of understood what i meant and he was sort of supportive. he said and he cited a news story i guess about steve jobs the co-founder of apple who recently had a liver transplant and um, he says he actually had to go out and shop for one although i don't think it's the kind of thing you do go on store to store looking in the windows for a good liver <laughs> transplant you know it's not done that way now i pointed out that wasn't exactly what i was talking about though i would have no objection to that that wasn't my concept of what i was talking about basically all i was saying was that people should be able to leave the matter of organ donations or sale in their will and have any proceeds from those organs wherever they may get those proceeds from go towards the estate of the deceased this has been actually legally prevented from happening i can't believe it stunning remove the prohibition and you would never have organ shortages and the prices of them would drop we're gonna give you some examples of that later on in the show so I told, you know, I said on the air, I said, look, if we're only counting on altruism and people giving, this is a losing proposition. And so, you know, MacArthur says to me, so we need to uh, incentivize people, he says. And I says, yeah, absolutely. Why not have, you know, a gain be on every side of this in, in the midst of a terrible loss like that? You know, somebody has to die to give a, an organ. Not in all cases. Some organs can mm-hmm. be given by the living. And, um, you know, I sort of questioned if people really value these organs, how come they always want them for free it has to be free free is the whole thing free is a number one thing and, and profit is evil yes and never mind I'm dying but I want it for free and uh, MacArthur disagreed with me at that time and he said now people didn't want them for free he says they're in a desperate situation and he said boy I would hate to see a bidding war out there for an organ that might sa- save somebody's life and um, and he says he's not against incentivizing donors when he sees people needlessly die, especially when our donation rates are just so willfully poor. Note that term, willfully poor. But it's, a, but it's a kind of sad statement, isn't it, he says, when we have to incentivize people to help out others. When you're on your way out and you have no use for these organs possibly whatsoever, and we have to give you some sort of incentive for you or your family to help somebody else out, it's kind of a sad statement, he says. Well, I don't think it is. I don't know what's sad about it. Um, this idea that someone's organs have no value after death is demonstrably and patently false. Well, that, that's uh, that's the case because they're looking for organ donors yes. anyway. So they prove that point. Ask any person waiting for an organ to be transplanted whether or not it has value. Of course, you know if you're going to say that, then you can say the same thing about the person's house. Well, he doesn't need it after he's dead. We'll just take it from him. Yeah. Oh, his money? No, he doesn't need it after he's dead. We'll just take it from him. We'll take his children. We'll take why, why not take everything? Right. Because if that's how you look at life, and that's what you think property and, you know, the person has worked all their life, whatever they want done with their organs is their business. And I'm telling you, I think most people, I don't think the shortage is caused by a lack of people wanting to sign up. I think it's caused by people refusing to sign up because of this system. Well,
3: what's in it for them,
2: they're asking? Well, pretty much, you know. Or what's in it for their estate or their children? Right. Why bother? So, basically, you know... It has to have a value to the deceased. So here we have this, you know, social, moral, and ethical vampirism, you know, sort of uh, masquerading as some sort of virtuous morality. So the issue is not about value, but about preventing that value from being recognized or being received by the person offering it. That's what it's about. It's sacrifice. They want a sacrifice. And I'm going to explicitly quote from the people who tell you this. The choice of what should be done at with one's organs is ideally made in life, let's face it, by the individual whose organs they are, not after death by assuming some sort of public ownership over your body. But, um, you know, most importantly, I think uh, MacArthur disagreed with me that the key issue was about wanting organs for free. So what happens, and this is why I ended up doing this today, the next two callers on his show... uh, saw fit to take me to task and take me to, uh, you know, moral judgment. I'm condemned to hell forever by these people. First person was a female caller. And she said, quote, I find it highly offensive that the guy says, the guy being me, let's pay for it. Well, I didn't say that, but something close to it. Actually, I think Mark MacArthur suggested that. And she says, that's why it's called a gift. It's a gift of life. I would feel terrible when I die and my children will benefit and profit financially. That's why I have life insurance. I'm sitting there going, well, wait, wait a minute, if you feel terrible about your children profiting, then why did you get life insurance? <laughs> 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 and I'm going, okay, there's a complete contradiction. The contradictions start before they can even say two sentences. If something that happens to, to me, my children will be fine, she says. Well, you know, that's very fine if you're rich enough or wealthy enough or thoughtful enough to buy a life insurance policy. Well, you know, most of the people who benefit from this are not the rich, but the very poor. Who have nothing to offer but their, what's left of their body, and they're not allowed to do this either. So, you know, this whole thing—you know—he says that you shouldn't be selling out people like piece meal or parting you out like selling a car. Well, it's not you; it's parts of your body. <laughs> again, A is not A. The way they talk again, and then she says she finds it offensive and so wrong on so many levels. And here's a killer. I have a cousin who desperately, desperately needs a kidney transplant. She's been on dialysis for almost three or four years. Uh, You can even do living kidney transplants. Her and her husband said, you know okay, he might, he might not be a match for her, but if he was a match for someone else, that they could take his kidneys and trade kind of thing. And, like, she goes, I think that I believe in living donations, too. And then, of course, MacArthur thanks her for her generosity, and I'm thinking, who, you know, that's scary stuff. Is she,
3: is she's basically saying that if somebody came up to her and said, well, look, I'll, I'll give you my kidney, I, I really need a couple thousand dollars, You can
2: take one of my kidneys. I don't know about the money part. I don't think she'd she'd go. go No, no, that's what I'm saying.
3: So for just say two thousand dollars, you can have one of my kidneys. She'd reject it. If if she if she sticks to her if she sticks to her principles, morality, yeah, yeah, she'll
2: reject it, and her 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 friend will die. Yeah, and she's also condemning her friend to death with that belief. Yeah, and then then comes on a male caller. And he says it's been coming up on two years since he had an organ transplant. And from that point on, he starts crying through the whole conversation. Well, I heard the call, actually. Yeah. Yeah, it was, must have been pretty traumatic for him. Yeah, and, and well, the experience, certainly. But then what he said was just stunning. You know, he says, quote, again, the same thing. It's a gift you can't buy. You know, it's not the organ they're concerned about. It's the buying and the money and the gift. It has to be a gift. It has to be about the money. My children sign their donor cards be- because of it, he says. I think everyone should. It's a person's life. Uh, and he- Then he says, talking about rotting in the ground, bodies rotting, he says, then he says, I believe there is life after death. It's not going to be in the body. It doesn't matter if the liver's gone or the heart's gone. A lady that unfortunately got killed, probably the woman whose organ he got, mm-hmm. she donated to a number of people. She made a difference to my life. So basically, he's saying, well, it's okay for her to be dead, because there's life after death, and she's going to be up in heaven or somewhere, and that's cool. The mysticism comes right out, you know, that that's what justifies robbing that person's body. And he says, I had two weeks to live. I would never have gotten to know my granddaughter, and that may be true, and she would never have gotten to know me. It's just so special, you can't put a price on it.
3: I I don't think he's saying that. I think he's saying that you shouldn't a price on it and rather than pay for something you know what else is uh, well n- other no i think he is, is saying
2: you can't put a. you know why because if you're looking at your own life it's priceless to you it is there's no price you can put on it but in the marketplace you can't sell your but we're life not talking anyway. about life we're no. talking about an organ an organ that's right tissue right
3: And what he's saying is not but that, he's talking about life what he's saying is not that there's a, a you can't put a value on it but that we should use force to take it from you If you can't put a price on something... No, he's not saying that either. Well, that's the ultimate conclusion of this entire philosophy.
2: No, what they're using is force to prevent people from helping other people. They're using not only force to prevent it, but I
3: can bet you... I think that... Wasn't it in the past um, that... uh, Was it McGuinty's government or an Ontario government said that basically your body should belong to the state after you die, and then we'll just harvest your organs anyway, like yeah, or grave robbers.
2: Absolutely, it's been suggested. So that's, that's where this is going to go. I, I, it's quite possible, but I, hope so. I certainly hope not. And, you know, he goes on, he says, if there were, if there were bidding for it, which is not what I'm talking about, um, I would have been dead, he said. I'm not financially uh, a financially wealthy person. Well, neither am I, and I'm on the other side of this issue. <laughs> if they bid over it, I don't think that's the way to go either. It's got to be a gift from your heart, he says. There's the insistence. It's sorry that anybody has to die to do it. Uh-huh, it is. An accident happens or something, but why shouldn't people benefit from it? Well, how do they not benefit? Why, and why should not the, his, his family benefit from it, right? It's everybody donor, should yeah. benefit except the person who is the source of the, of the good. Right. And um, so MacArthur thanks him and says, Yeah, I bet you that increases the donor rate. And no, no, it won't. Um, it might a little bit, but uh, again... So, you know, just to conclude what Rand says on altruism, just how that speaks to what we just heard. She says, Why is it moral to serve the happiness of others but not your own? If enjoyment is a value, why is it moral when experienced by others but immoral when experienced by you? If the sensation of eating a cake is a value, why is it an immoral indulgence in your stomach but a moral goal for you to achieve in the stomach of others? Why is it immoral for you to desire but moral for others to do so? Why is it it immoral to produce a value and keep it, but moral to give it away? And if it is not moral for you to keep a value, why is it moral for others to accept it? If you are selfless and virtuous when you give it, are they not selfish and vicious when they take it? (laughs) Does virtue consist in serving vice? Is the moral purpose of those who are good self-immolation for those who are evil? Well, believe it or not, a great many people, I think, would answer that in the affirmative. Yeah. yeah, that is the moral good. It's called selflessness. I've sat here for 10 years with Jeff Schlemmer and Jim Chapman doing left, right and center, and Jeff would repeatedly talk about his selflessness. And, and you know, that's where all that left wing philosophy comes from. The selfless, selfless, selfish people is what I call them. So, you know, why why do they do that? Well, because... If you're going to take something from somebody or prevent them from doing something consensual, you know, which is another way of stealing from them, to avoid moral judgment, you have to morally justify it, right? So you've got to declare, turn the victim into the criminal or to the, moral, uh, the morally black, so to speak, the moral inferior. Um, and that's why you get this ki- these kind of pronouncements. That's really the function of altruism, is to disarm its victims. Remember, altruism is not about charity. Two different things. So I see it's, oh, geez, we're already past around the quarter of the hour. We'll take a quick break, and we'll pick this up on the other side of this break.
1: It must be impossible for you to understand how any civilized people could come to this. Before the phage began, we were known as educators and explorers. A people whose greatest achievements were artistic. I myself am a sculptor of note on my world. All I can say is that when your entire existence is at stake... You don't have to explain yourself, Motora. If the consequence of this act is a death sentence, so be it.
0: At least it will put an end to my suffering. I can't begin to understand what your people have gone through. They may have found a way to ignore the moral implications of what you're doing. But I have no such luxury. I don't have the freedom to kill you to save another. My culture finds that to be a reprehensible and entirely unacceptable act. If we were closer to home, I would lock you up and turn you over to my authorities for trial. But I don't even have that ability here. And I am not prepared to carry you forever in our brig. So I see no other alternative. But to let you go. And take a message to your people. If I ever encounter your kind again... I will do whatever is necessary to protect my people from this harvesting of yours. Any aggressive actions against this ship or its crew will be met by the deadliest force. Is that clear?
1: on the back of my neck it's all bramble see it's like a thicket back there look i need somebody to shave it for me huh? no i'm not touching that thing well i have to say i'm very surprised and disappointed blood brother oh no what jerry i gave you my blood listen to your pulse hey buddy hey buddy hey buddy I'm not shaving your neck. Oh, so my blood's not enough. Would you like a kidney, too? Because I'll give it to you. I'll rip it out right here and stack it on the table. <laughs> all right, all right. I'll do it. Sit down. No, 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 no. no. I don't have time right now.
2: <laughs> There's a, a humorous example and a very compelling dramatic example of the same principle almost being demonstrated, isn't it? A guilt actually is what uh, he was talking about there. Is uh, uh, guilting him in sure, into doing something Sure. And wrong. using his altruism as a lever to manipulate the person to whom mm-hmm. he was uh, generous to, which of course is certainly what international op- altruism is quite often about. It's called foreign aid. Really? <laughs> Welcome back. You're listening to Just Right on CHRW, where the number is 519-661-3600. If you want to call to disagree or agree with us, I have an article here that has been kicking around for ages, Robert, Um, actually originally appeared in the Financial Post way back in January 1987, and uh, we reprinted it in our own magazine, uh, Consent, two years later. I think you were the managing editor of the magazine back then, and it was called Supply and Demand for Kidneys by the then-senior economist of the Fraser Institute, Dr. Walter Block. And interesting what he had to say at that time. Now, remember, all of this is 1987, so don't worry about the figures so much as the principle being elucidated here. And he writes that, according to recent reports, the black market value of a kidney, which can be transplanted, is about $13,000, which translates to roughly seven times its weight in gold. Hmm. Okay, so it has a value. Right, And that's a black market value, so you have to assume that's overstated. Uh, Right, so obviously if there was a free market in it, the price would plummet. Exactly. Behind this rather dramatic way of characterizing the value of human organs lies a story of untold and tragic human suffering. There are thousands of Canadians whose lives could be vastly improved could they but have the use of a healthy kidney paradoxically there are other thousands of people who die each year taking perfectly healthy kidneys to the grave with them who have no financial incentive at all to bequeath these organs to those in need why can't potential donors be given a pecuniary reward for doing the right thing that is, what precludes a businessman from purchasing... This is a different, this is a different thing he gets into here. He, th- he says we could actually set up businesses for this, okay, in the f- for futures market in, in organs. <laughs> and which goes way beyond anything I was suggesting. I'll get to my own views later. But anyways, he says, uh, what precludes a businessman from purchasing the future rights to a kidney from potential donors and then selling these items to those suffering from kidney disease? The problem is, it's illegal to harness marketplace incentives to encourage kidney donors. Anyone who sets up a business of this sort would be summarily imprisoned, okay? Instead, our society must resort to all sorts of inefficient stratagems towards this end. Famous personages have exhorted us, if we suffer an untimely death, to make a posthumous gift of these organs. Medical schools coach their students on the best techniques for approaching next of kin. The difficulty is that they must ask permission at the precise time when they're least likely to be given it, on the sudden demise of a loved one. All this has been to little avail. Remember, this was written in the 80s, okay, and they're still doing the same Nothing's thing Nothing's changed. Today. Nothing has changed. While potential recipients languish on painful kidney dialysis machines waiting goalishly for a traffic fatality which may spell life for them, the public has refused to sign cards in sufficient numbers, giving permission for automatic posthumous donor status. Notice he says refused to sign, not just forgotten, mm-hmm. not just ignored, but refused. There are even grotesque and fascistist plans now being... Bruted that would allow the government to seize the kidneys of accident victims unless they have signed cards denying such permission. So it's implied consent. That's what you were saying earlier. Yes, yeah. And then he argues that a legalized marketplace could encourage thousands of donors. Would you sign a card donating your kidney after death for 13,000 big ones right now? There are a few people who would turn up their noses at such an offer. And if sufficient supplies were not forthcoming at this level, prices would rise even further until all demand was satisfied. Nor is there danger that prices would rise so high as to be out of reach for those in need. For one thing, transplantable organs are now very difficult to come by. For another, any incipient price rise would be met by an increase in supply, and this would tend to moderate the upward movement. Those responsible for preventing a free market in kidneys do so with the noblest of motives. To them, legalizing the purchase and sale of human organs would be the ultimate in degradation. Far better in their view that people donate their bodily parts free however no matter how benevolent the intentions of the prohibitionists it cannot be denied that the effect of their action is to render it less likely than those in need render it less likely that those in need shall be served It is long past for our society to put aside its archaic and prejudicial opposition to the marketplace so that we can relieve the suffering and in many cases lift the death sentence we have inadvertently placed on many of our citizens pretty powerful words hey robert you know it all stems from the fact that people are thinking
3: that money is the root of all evil that money is bad well i say to you if you think that
2: give it to me i'll I'll gladly take that burden off your shoulders (laughs) (laughs) no what people really think is it's always the other money in the other person's hand is bad money in my hand i'm i'm good i know what i'm doing with my money it's envy then it's it's a form of envy. It's a form. It, it comes out of fear, I think, too. Now I have to tell you, when I called in on MacArthur, I wasn't se- thinking anything so grandiose <laughs> as, as what's been suggested. MacArthur suggests, uh, yeah, just go out and shop for an organ. I've got no objection to that. And you know, Doctor Block here suggested set up businesses. Very creative. I've got no objection objection to that. When I called in. I was assuming we were living in a socialist paradise <laughs> with, with free health care. So I figured, look, it, he's already getting the operation for free. Why can't they just pay for the kidney or whatever it is he needs, right? right? So to me, it wasn't even about him paying. And under a rational system, even the payment isn't an issue. You can either pay yourself, you can have a private insurance company, or you can still have some kind of government plan or a combination of all three, for heaven's sakes. But to preclude all of these many, many variables and ma- many ways of approaching this issue to ultimately resolve it. And to, to, to you know, that's why Rand said altruism is killing the world, it's destroying the world. The things that people will do—it's called the sanction of the victim. The victim even goes along with it. Oh no, I can't accept your organs if I have to pay for them, or if somebody has to pay for them. It's quite
3: but, literally people are dying, literally, because of their fear of, of, of freedom and capitalism.
2: A- and that's what—that's what they hate. It's the capitalism and freedom part. That's what it is. Yeah. And and it's not about the organs. It's not about anything like that. So uh, you know, it's a, it's a scary thing. But we'll, we'll we'll examine this a little more. We're coming around the bottom of the hour now. We'll take a quick break, and when we come back, we'll continue on this whole concept of society's vampires as we slowly segue into uh, yet another issue that has a lot to do with altruism and sacrifice. And we'll be back after this.
4: Welcome to RecycleMe.org, the place where recycling moves from our curbsides to our insides. By clicking on this handsome tattoo, you can open me up and learn the ins and outs of organ and tissue donation. The heart, the lungs, even the eyes, they're all here for you to discover. Once you've checked me out, make a pledge to make a difference. Click on the Join the Movement link and become an organ and tissue donor. I've become one to save up to eight lives, because if I'm not using them, why shouldn't someone else?
1: Paul, your views on this one.
5: Well, it is creepy, in my view, Mm -hmm. Um, and it's encouraging children to think of their bodies as things that are worthless, to be left in a bin at the roadside and used by the state however the state chooses to use it. Uh, it's gory because it's leftist, because it's collectivist. Yeah, there's a
1: morbid twist to that.
5: Yeah, and it's it's sort of this cult of death that seems to haunt everything the, the, uh, the left wants to do. They can't uh, do anything in a tasteful way, it seems, especially with these websites. But you know, the real horror here is that The government is telling children, 14, well, and and young adults, up to 24 years old, it's the target group for this website, that you don't have any control over your body once it's gone. That there's only two choices. One, that somebody has to go without your organs and Mm -hmm. perhaps die. Or two, um, you have to uh, give those organs but get no compensation at all. In other words, they would rather have someone die then allow you to charge for your organs. For example, bequeath them to the family so that the value of those organs could be uh, used by your children or wife. Um, until choice is permitted in this province, until it's legal to set the price from zero dollars if you choose mm-hmm. or to something higher, until you're free to say who you do and do not want these organs to go to, I think it is immoral to contribute your organs uh, because in doing so you're allowing, you're giving the state uh, free uh, you know the the power to say your freedom doesn't matter if by refusing in this effort to give your organs until you have that choice about the price and etc you have managed to twist the state's arm and to change the law and allow you to have control over the price and etc of your organs um, until they make that change it's immoral in my view to be donating donating your organs
4: get to change the rules of the game after the game has started. And that goes for your silent South American partners too. My position is simple. Hey, okay, I'm short the Shanghai A shares and that was a guaranteed deal. Guaranteed. Hey buddy, let me get rid of this game. My best friend Joseph, one of the oldest vampires in LA. 400 going on 30. How oh, would you care for a liquid refreshment? No, thank you. Are you sure? She's delicious. 82 is a good year. we went to the super bowl in 82 right lost a million bucks on cincinnati that year right except for that yeah hey look i know you have morals and scruples and that's fine sort of but you're not the man i on occasion pretend to respect if you don't get this under control hey you have a soft spot for the mortal ones a fascination with all the charming things they do while listening to the tick 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 of their own looming demise it's fine it's good everyone needs a hobby look People aren't gonna suddenly believe in vampires because of a buzzwire article. Are you willing to take that risk? You're fooling yourself. If you think you can exist in that retail blood forever. I do, all right. Yeah, for now. But you're finding a losing battle, my friend. Okay, sooner or later, your inner vampire's gonna demand to be fed. And then what?
3: And welcome back to Just Right on CHRW 94.9 FM, where you can join us
2: at 519 519- Six six one thirty six hundred, And what do you think of that uh, clip of vampires well, about? Well, I think it's incredible when vampires can even figure out that they can survive on retail blood. <laughs> and we haven't figured that out yet. Um, it's interesting uh, to get away from that. By the way, that that was from um, the show Moonlight. Have you ever seen it? I've seen them all, and unfortunately oh. they've been cancelled, yeah. just like any other good show on Fox. Yes, and it was a, it was a wonderful show because it literally grabbed that altruism versus selfishness theme and went with it and talked about it and tried, you know, you had these civilized vampires and that was a totally different concept to me. But uh, before the break, what we heard there was from uh, CTS Viewpoints with Christine Williams' Paul McKeever and uh, talking about, uh, you know, when he said it's immoral to donate your organs under the current system. Now, he didn't mean it's immoral to donate if you're saving the life of a loved one or anything like that. What he's saying is as long as you realize that you know if you're if you're doing it out of altruism it's wrong that's in the sense of sacrifice that's not the reason you should be doing it because you want to and because under the current system basically for each person that gets an organ a whole bunch more have to die for it you know it becomes it's rationing it's rationing in the extreme scale so I think that's the thing you want to really avoid there, and uh, not certainly to be taken with, you know, the choice would still be there you know, yeah. if you wanted to make it a voluntary donation or not. But better to have more options than fewer, the way I see it. Oh, yeah. Doesn't that make sense? Of course. I mean,
3: like I said before, it yeah. all comes down to um, a fear, a fear of capitalism, fear of money, fear of freedom, and, and not only that, an ignorance of exactly what, it, what morality is. I think people out there are brought up in ignorance when it comes to deciding, how should I live my life? Should I live it for myself? Shall I live it for my own survival, my own happiness? Or should I live it for others? And That's it's always coming down that uh, I should live it for others. I'm a sacrificial animal for other people's lives.
2: And, and yet, you know, at the same time... One could say that in living life for oneself, one ends up serving others. That's the Adam Smith argument, right? The invisible hand. The invisible yeah. hand. Yeah. And, uh, but that's not the justification. That's not the moral justification. If you reverse the morality, you won't get that equation. It that's won't right. come out that way.
3: You know, mor- you act morally when you act according to your nature. And this is what I've learned from Rand and objectivism as well. When you act according to your nature, and your nature is a rational animal, So when you act rationally, putting your own survival and your own happiness above all else, you are acting morally. When you act morally, you're using yourself, your own nature as a standard. Otherwise, you're using somebody else as a standard, either their beings or their religion or some code somebody else created, and that's just not right. So what happens when you do that? You feel guilt. And this is a quote from Rand about guilt and about altruism and feeling like that. So she says, even though altruism declares that, quote, it is morally blessed to give than to receive, unquote, it does not work that way in practice. The givers are are never blessed. The more they give, the more is demanded of them. Complaints, reproaches, and insults are the only response they get for practicing altruism's virtues, or for their actual virtues. Guilt is altruism's stock in trade, and the inducing of guilt is its only means of self-perpetuation. If the giver is not kept under a torrent of degrading, demeaning accusations, he might take a look around and put an end to the self-sacrificing. Altruists are concerned only with those who suffer, not with those who provide relief from suffering, not even enough to care whether they are able to survive. When no actual suffering can be found, the altruists are compelled to invent it or manufacture it. Now, I think that actually speaks to this organ donator, mm. donator thing as well. I mean, the, the show, the MacArthur show that you were referring to, it seems that a lot of the callers who called in were trying to impose a sort of guilt on people who do not
2: sign their donor cards. That's right. There, there was the guilt and, and the reproaching. And a lot of people find that offensive. Uh, when somebody approaches me that way, I'm saying, I'm sorry, you're offending me. That, that is true. It you is know. offensive
3: to you and I because we have a different standard of morality. We, we have our own happiness as that standard. These people are reproaching us for daring to think that we act
2: rationally for our own selves, for our own survival, for no, our not own Not only that, in, in the appeal for organs, you know, it's not as if... You know what's a very co- effective appeal is when somebody wants to appeal for a specific individual or a specific cause where people can really see the concrete of it. But this general, just, you know, sign of donor card and give your organs away. To yeah. anybody, you don't know who's going to get them. Yeah, can you imagine you know? some of
3: the people that your organs will go to? Well, th-
2: that that's not a point if you if you don't <laughs> care, but if you do care, you, you might prefer s- perhaps someone in your family to have one than a stranger yeah. or something like that. Yeah. And uh, you know certainly even in that example from Seinfeld, that was where Kramer was actually <laughs> stockpiling his own blood for a future emergency, right? Right. Apparently he closed his account at the blood bank. <laughs> 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 and so decided to uh, store his own I got a couple more quotes yeah. there about
3: uh, from Rand again, mm-hmm. uh, just to hit home the idea, the notion of what it is to act morally. And as she quotes, "Since reason <laughs> is man's basic means of survival, that which is proper to life of a rational being is the good; that which negates or opposes or destroys it is the evil." And I think she summed it up best: the entire, the idea of people acting morally for their own self. Uh, being the good, and acting for others out of some sense of guilt as being evil. When um, Howard Dwork, the courtroom speech, remember the Fountainhead, Mm. in the movie The Fountainhead, and of course in the book, this is actually taken from the book, not from the movie, but a quote from Howard Dwork's courtroom speech, and I quote, Man cannot survive except through his mind. He comes on earth unarmed. His brain is his only weapon. Animals obtain food by force. Man has no claws, no fangs, no horns, no great strength of muscle. He must plant his food or hunt it. To plant he needs a process of thought. To hunt he needs weapons. And to make weapons, a process of thought. From the simplest necessity to the highest religious abstraction, from the wheel to the skyscraper, everything we are and everything we have comes from a single attribute of man, the function of his reasoning mind. But the mind is an attribute of the individual, There's no such thing as a collective brain. There's no such thing as a collective thought. An agreement reached by a group of men is only a compromise or an average drawn upon many individual thoughts. It is a secondary consequence. The primary act, the process of reason, must be performed by each man alone. We can divide a meal among many men. We cannot digest it in a collective stomach. No man can use his lungs to breathe for another man. No man can use his brain to think for another. All the functions of body and spirit are private; they cannot be shared or transferred. Now, I think that that's that's from uh, Howard Wark's courtroom speech. Mm. But I think that you haven't seen Voyager yet. (laughs) (laughs) Now, he's not specifically talking there about organ donation, but he's talking about what it means to be a man. Mm -hmm. What is the standard upon which all our actions should be based? And it's not living for somebody morality. else. Yes. The standard of morality. What, it's not living for somebody else. It's not feeling guilty because you don't sign your organ donation card. It's living for your own survival and your own happiness. And I think that we, people have to go back to Rand, read some of this stuff, and understand what it means to be moral. Because mm-hmm. what we're hearing out there on these other radio shows and, and from the pulpits and from the newspapers is the absolute inverse
2: of this morality. Of course and it's destroying us and and it's been a hallmark of say the catholic church is they always preach sacrifice we could actually
3: save thousands upon thousands and thousands of people if we just instill capitalism a selfish motive Mm -hmm. into the organ donation
2: well you uh, see then then you would allow others to act on their selfish motives too and they wouldn't need your help anymore that's (laughs) that's part of what altruists don't like yes (laughs) Um, they want to be in the position of you know the the helper Um, well, we're coming around, boy, we're, time's moving faster than I thought, Robert. Um, you know, talking about altruism being used against people, I think uh, what's coming up next is someone who has taken altruism to use it as a lever against an altruistic society, if you would. That person, of course, is Mark Emery. And uh, just last week, or well, actually a couple months ago, we had, on, we had him on the show mm-hmm. as a guest along with Paul McKeever, who at the time had produced uh, part one of The Principle of Pot on YouTube. Well, part two has come out now. And what a monumental, just a stunning thing. It's Uh, an epic. It's an epic. It's the Gone with the Wind of YouTube. It really is. And it's available on www.youtube.com slash Paul McKeever. And it's called The Principle of Pot, Part two, it's a history of the of not only Mark Emery, but the whole pot movement and of, of a lot of Canadian politics. It's just a stunning, stunning uh, two-and-a-half hour, believe it or not, and that's just part two. Yes. <laughs> um, l- just litany of event after event. It's now, a- I saw it about a week ago, mm-hmm. and there was already...
3: It had only been up for a couple of days, and it had been seen oh, almost 2,000 times at that time. What,
2: do you, what is it at now? Oh, well, it's over 8,000 now oh, for part kidding. one. Oh, wow. and and, oh, and part two. I'm not sure about part two. Part two would be getting around two 3,000. I'm not oh. sure yet. But uh, I certainly would recommend you see it, and if you're, even if you're not interested in the pod issue. So what we've done for now is we've taken a couple of excerpts from that uh, YouTube production, which, of course, is two and a half hours long, so we can't really cover most of it. But here's an example of what you might get.
5: On July 29, 2005, RCMP officers arrested Emery in Halifax, where he had been attending a cannabis-related event. In a concurrent raid in Vancouver, Emery's seed business and the B.C. Marijuana Party office were searched by the Vancouver police on behalf of the DEA. Two Emery Seeds employees, Greg Williams and Michelle Rainey, were arrested on charges related to seed selling.
1: The Seattle office of the DEA takes the wraps off an 18-month investigation.
0: Agents have shut down a business accused of supplying pot growing operations in all 50 states. A bus that has triggered outrage across the border in Canada.
3: Mark Emery would distribute high-grade marijuana seeds,
4: as you can see, to virtually every state in the United States. Their activities resulted in the growing of thousands and
3: thousands tens of thousands of marijuana plants in america Emery and two
5: other suspects are in u.s custody tonight but the u.s plans to uh, try to extradite them on drug and money laundering charges to face a potential here of life in prison this is a canadian citizen with an american search warrant
3: Federal prosecutors say Emery's arrest and search warrants at three BC properties
5: were coordinated through the Canadian government.
1: Emery is not charged in Canada, leaving authorities here in a difficult position, trying to explain why Americans can charge him and they haven't. Very often we get information, we act on it. Um, it's based on resource issues, very, uh,
5: you know, and priority. Canadian Crown attorneys, having denied the Vancouver Police a prosecution of Emery in Canada. The U.S. attorney was happy to step in and prosecute him in the U.S.A. Upon Emery's arrest, DEA spokesperson Karen Tandy issued a media release. Emery, it said, had been designated as one of the Attorney General's most wanted international drug trafficking organizational targets, one of only 46 in the world and the only one from Canada. But in its glee, the DEA tipped its hand. Emery's arrest, the release said, was, quote, a significant blow not only to the marijuana trafficking trade in the U.S. and Canada, but also to the marijuana legalization movement. It continued, quote, hundreds of thousands of dollars of Emory's illicit profits are known to have been channeled to marijuana legalization groups active in the United States and Canada. Drug legalization lobbyists now have one less pot of money to rely on, unquote. The DEA was boasting, chiefly, that its actions had served political ends. Indeed, One of the most interesting things about the release was what it didn't say. It nowhere referred to Emery as a marijuana seed seller. Rather, it referred to him only as a publisher and as founder of a marijuana legalization group. The day following Emery's arrest would see protests and Emery's arrest making the national news.
0: Why did it take the United States to arrest B.C.'s Prince-A-Pot?
1: From our National News Center, Global National, here is Tara Nelson.
0: A show of support in Vancouver for a man who has been dubbed the Prince of Pot, and for good reason. Mark Emery has worked tirelessly for years on behalf of people just like these here today, but now he needs their help. The war on drugs in America has identified a Canadian enemy, none other than Mark Emery himself. Hello, and thank you for joining us. By his own admission, he has sold millions of marijuana seeds to people all over the world. $3 million worth a year to the U.S. alone, according to American authorities, who have issued an extradition order for Canada's best-known pot activist. Police in this country acting on America's behalf, arresting Emery in Halifax yesterday. Today, the very lengths to which the long arm of the law in the U.S. will go, raising some very serious questions. Go
1: home, USA! 好 It's a chant that is often heard in more volatile parts of the world, but anti-American sentiment was front and center in Vancouver after the Prince of Pot, Mark Emery, was arrested by Canadian police on behalf of American authorities. They see a change taking place here in Vancouver, and they feel threatened by that because they see that culture going across the border. It's not the kind of moral crusade that it is in the United States. This has nothing to do with public health and everything to do with morality and politics and economics.
4: So now the shoe has dropped. Now the Goliath, now the evil empire has finally made its move on me. And now I can confront the enemy face to face. I have been giving interviews with the New York Times, with all the Canadian national media, and I will be doing radio interviews every day. I will be talking to television every day. I will be receiving your letters and your words of support every day. I am not reducing the amount of energy and commitment and devotion I put to this movement, I will be doubling that effort. There is no backtracking. There is no going back on what I have done. The revolution is fully engaged and I am fully cognizant of my responsibilities to continuing it no matter where I may be. If I one day end up in a federal penitentiary, I will continue the battle however and wherever and in whatever manner I can do it. I am never going to retire. I am never going to stop. It is till liberty or till death what's next for you well i'm going to keep battling away and doing my work every i work seven days a week i want to get marijuana legalized that's the only thing that's important to me if i go to jail for the rest of my life in two years be, because canadians are willing to sacrifice me that's the way it goes it are doesn't you scared t- no you're not no not an american prison nothing scary no you? no it, prison rape getting beat up all those things they'll come it's, that's just the price you have to pay. If you want to accomplish something worthwhile, and after all, if anybody could do this job, anybody would be doing it, but nobody's doing it. I'm unique in this way. I've always been the leader of this movement for many years across the world, and I'm going to get marijuana legalized, and it doesn't
2: matter if it kills me. I thank you. Okay. Wow, talk about the pit bull of politics, eh? He's, he's a powerful speaker. And he doesn't quit. That's one thing. No. Once he's got his mindset on something, and I know that personally.
3: <laughs> yeah, so do I.
2: <laughs> Welcome back. You're listening to Just Right on CHRW 94.9 FM. Well, that was those scenes were actually taken from Paul McKeever's production, The Principle of Pot, Part 2, which, of course, in turn there included so many clips from so many sources, they're impossible to uh, elucidate. I mean, every five seconds there was something different on the screen. And even what you heard on an audio level, while you're watching it, there's so much information on the screen itself, sometimes I found myself having to stop it to, to read things on the screen. The amount of source
3: material that Paul must have gone through, there must have been tens, hundreds of different video clips, different oh, news articles, different newspaper articles, <laughs> all presented within that, what appears to be a short two and a half hours.
2: <laughs> yes. I, I sat down, uh, by the way, folks, I have joined the 90s, as some of my friends told me, and I have high speed now. So that was the first thing I watched on high speed. And I just tried to ask me about it. Yeah, uh, for, for two and a half hours, it was a wonderful experience. And um, when it was over, like you said, I th- I, whoa, it's over? When, yeah. when does it continue? That's how I felt about part one, which was an hour and a half, about well, 100 minutes, one hour 40 minutes. And um, as I understand it, the whole... Uh, Opus is going to be available on a three-disc DVD set in the very near future. And I know Mark Emery himself has ordered a bunch and that they'll be selling them. Do you know how now, Paul's going to distribute it? We don't know any other details yet. It's just in the uh-huh. early works. But the product is out there, and of course you can view it for free. Now... Well, I'm sure well, that if people go to Paul
3: McKeever's uh, YouTube channel or even his own uh, homepage or blog, they'll probably find
2: information. Um, or on our page later on, justwritemedia.org. Yeah, just yeah we'll, uh, when, we'll put up when, a link to When we get the details, sure. We'll have some, too, yeah. for sure. Now, of course, the, the issue has gone far beyond the pot issue, and it's become the issue of extradition and uh justice minister rob nicholson is still not signed Mm -hmm. mark's extradition papers and and as paul has analyzed the situation and i'll tell you he doesn't give you much leeway to disagree with him because he gives you the evidence there's nothing he says that he hasn't given you literally a visual or audio evidence of what he's saying yep and so when he says something about harper he doesn't say it about harper you will see and hear harper say it himself
3: which is actually
2: chilling. and I that, think that was if chilling.
3: If Nicholson comes out and actually signs the extradition, I think Canadians have a lot to fear because we have a loss of our sovereignty. We are no longer subject to just Canadian law. We're now going to be subject to American law as well, and the Americans can come up here um, with the sanction of the Canadian government, arrest us and bring us down there. And it's just going to be... It's a very fearful um, society we're going to live in if this, if this goes through.
2: Well we live in that society now. It's, yeah, it's we're true. We're sort of at the yeah, wheel. America's going down there. Well, <laughs> possibly. Uh, you know, from the beginning, I, spe- I speculated that it would not be in the Harper government interest to extradite a person like Mark Emery. Mm. He's being extradited clearly, for political reasons not because he's a pot seller or, oh, that, or a seed seller that sorry. was made
3: clear yes. when paul clearly indicated that the arrest warrant didn't even mention the seed distribution right. it mentioned his political activity exactly. so he's a political prisoner in that sense
2: and you know it was scary too hearing that um, that harper you know he says freedom is not an end in itself oh it isn't is it <laughs> that was news to me and uh, you know paul's conclusion that basically the the, the conservatives believe that choice or, or that freedom ends where choice begins you know that 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 it's not a not just having freedom you've got to make the right choices you can't just have choices you have to make the right ones and if you make the wrong ones well they have to be illegal now, I would agree if those wrong choices involved violation of someone else's rights, of yes. Of course, yeah. But not if they just involved the self. That's a whole different issue, and that's the problem. Of course, they, they try to argue differently on the pot issue. You'll learn a lot about the pot issue in Part 2 as well. Part 1, ironically, of the principle of pot didn't mention pot once in the one and a half hours. <laughs> it was uh, it was a history, basically, of uh, Sunday shopping, of the Pan Am Games here Mark's in London. Mark's political activity. Yes, of uh, two live crew, all the censorship, uh, Salman Rushdie... I mean, just it's amazing i can't i can't believe i was even part of it you know because i was in, in in much of it and yes. looking back to see this i'm going wow that's just amazing that all of that ever happened um now, the journey on part two, of course, it goes back, starts in 1776, at the beginning, you know, talking about how... The Constitution the, was signed The Declaration on of, of Independence, all that was uh, way back then. And ends with uh, Paul's assessment of whether Mark Emery is really the Howard Rourke, or is he Jesus Christ? Yeah. And the religious allegories are amazing. And I think they were purposely played into, because I think Mark took a look at the Bible, as he did when he went to jail recently. And he said, hey, I could use this technique (laughs) in terms of influencing the public. And that has been uh, very much effective in a way. I guess the question that Paul left at the end is, Mark's done a great deal for the pot issue in a a way, but has he done a lot for freedom? And he leaves that question rather open. Yes. Uh, Well, in the sense of how it will work out. But he he does make it clear that Mark has uh, sacrificed his ability to argue against the values that are putting him in jail, because he's had to accept those values by playing the altruist and playing the self-sacrificial person. As, as Paul said, he's, he's intellectually disarmed himself. Yes. And that's part of the price he's paid for his victory in making the issue huge. I was really amazed, too. Um, you know, I, I've really lost touch with Marx's you know, personal campaigning over, well, since he left in the early 90s, I've uh, kept uh, uh, peripheral touch with what he's doing but to see the whole litany of what he has done the influence he's had around the world all the free mark emery uh, protests going on all over the world yes. for heaven's sakes um and the canadians are just sitting here trying to well let's make it go away let's see if it doesn't as a matter of fact really- that's the irony you have
3: a harper government or a conservative christian government in power and they if they sign this extradition warrant are going to be playing the pilot to Mark Emery's
2: Jesus. And that's exactly the point that, that Paul <laughs> um, you know, raises at the end. Washing their hands of it. But um, interesting uh, you know, things you should know. Paul McKeever doesn't appear in the, in the film himself. He's just the narrator of it. Mm-hmm. Everyone who's in it are players in the whole drama in the passion play, if you will. Including yourself, quite substantially. Um, in part one I was, and not so yeah. much in part two. I was a bit in part two, but yes. not so much. And uh, part two and part one are somewhat different experiences. Uh, I would say to people who are exclusively interested in the pod issue, I would start with part two. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, We've noticed, too, that since the second one has gone online, that um, views of the first one are going back up again. And uh, remember, all this is sort of preliminary. The real action around Armory hasn't started yet, because it's not until uh, the Justice Minister makes a decision, one way or the other... Yes. that this is going to be a huge news item again, and it's still in limbo. Well, if you
3: think and of the fact that this is almost five hours of YouTube viewing, mm-hmm. and it's been seen by maybe about 10,000 people,
0: yeah, you that, can, you that
3: should
2: tell Mr. Uh, uh, Harper something watch out And you can bet that uh, among the first thousand people or so was the DEA was the Harper (laughs) government Um, and you can get and we know that for a fact by the way because of course they were all uh, they were the first people sent uh, this message because I think Paul wanted to make it clear where the government might find itself should it go ahead with this very unpopular decision even people who have no interest in the pot issue at all are realizing the inherent injustice of um, you know, extraditing a person who hasn't been charged with a crime in this country and whom Canadians consider a hero— for heaven's sakes! We remember in London, Ontario, we came here, and on the front page of the paper and the Chris Doty play and and all that stuff. You know. Can you imagine if so. he's extradited and he comes back? What's going to happen then? Because he will come back. Well, And even when he's extradited, <laughs> and as he was in jail for a while, they couldn't shut him up. He was still online every day yep. <laughs> doing his daily reports out of the jail cell. Anyways, we recommend that. you got to check it out, www.youtube.com slash Paul McKeever. Trust me, it's going to be quite an experience for you. That's it for today. We've got to get out of here, don't we? So until next week, make sure you know what to do. Be right, act right, stay right, and be right back here next week.
1: Color it to black and white. Under the bed clothes, everything will be alright. So you guys, you're into the drugs? You like the drugs? Hair boy, you're into the drugs. Who are you
4: kidding? You messed up with ecstasy right now, aren't you? Am I dancing too quickly for you? My friends, they're in the drugs. That's their drug, ecstasy. They love the ecstasy. I don't do it, and uh, I, I never will, but they love it, and frankly, it's, uh, it's tearing apart our friendship. Not because uh, they're doing drugs. I'm just tired of getting those 5.30 a.m. phone calls when they're all messed up. <laughs> do you ever get those? You have friends who do, hey, you get this, 5.30 in the morning, the phone rings. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. Oh,
1: my God. Oh, 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 my God. Oh my god, oh my god, I just went to the best brave, the best brave, the best brave, oh my god, oh my god, oh my god, oh my god, the DJ, the DJ, the DJ, the DJ, oh my god, he's so good, oh my god, oh my god, oh my god, is that water? Click.
4: Mom? <laughs> um, is that you?
3: <laughs>